what's really great in Mel Gibson's in his performance is this evolution. It's like this arc that he's got. That as it, and of course, it's probably shot out of sequence, as most films are. But it, there's a, an amazing kind of growing awareness of of camaraderie and responsibility, and, and I guess patriotism as well that grows. And and by the end, it's really for me, it's Mel Gibson's character that is heartbreaking. Hello and welcome to this month's film club. It's Gallipoli. Director Tim Hewitt joins me to talk about the 1981 Australian film directed by Peter Weir and starring Mel Gibson and Mark Lee. It's the anniversary of the Battle of the Neck which took place in August 1915 and this movie depicts those events with a little artistic licence which we'll discuss. Coming up in the film club we've got a 1972 Munich Olympics double bill with Munich directed by Steven Spielberg and One Day in September directed by Kevin MacDonald. We'll be doing The Bounty and Master and Commander, and then in November, 13 Days and JFK. So please do subscribe and share with friends. Plenty more history to come on the regular pod, but in the meantime, I'm going to hand you over to me and Tim Hewitt discussing Gallipoli. Tim Hewitt, welcome back to this month's Film Club. Thank you so much. And so we are today. We're talking about a film that you've been very keen to ha have on there. Yes, so, and I'm very glad you are because this is the First World War, and the First World War actually one of my most popular podcasts is my conversation with Gary Sheffield about the First World War and myths of the First World War. Right. Uh, okay. Which I, which I think, from a historical standpoint, the film Gallipoli may have made a few myth mythical mm -hmm. sort of errors uh, or faux pas but sure. anyway um as long as we bear in mind that these are films and not documentaries indeed you're absolutely <laughs> right about that so um gallipoli one wonderful film made in 1981 i think it was. Uh, yeah yeah it was 1981 it made in 1981 starring mel gibson in the title well not in the title role he did not play gallipoli <laughs> as Mr. Yeah. Mel Gibson in the as the main role. Mark Lee, another Aussie actor. Well, actually, okay, Mel Gibson, he is American but brought up in Australia. Is that correct? Yes, he moved. I think New York is where he started, born and and grew up until he was nine, I think, and then they moved to Sydney. Uh, and then he was he went to school in Sydney. I went to drama school in Sydney, and so sort of Australianized himself. But he's American, yeah, he is American. So, and um... and he's also an Irish uh, citizen as well. Oh, is he? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so, fellow countryman of mine. Then, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Mel Gibson, but he so as a result of that, he made his name in Australia in this film, in the great Mad Max, Mad Max 2, also and his great. sequels. Yes, great character. I mean, t uh, uh, there's a lot of stick, of course, uh, and... and <laughs> Well, we'll um, talk about his early 80s. Let's not, get, let's not mm. dwell too much in the sort of... Uh, no, 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 not at all. But, but the, it was for me to reiterate that they, essentially that I've... I always thought he's a really good actor. Uh, but his early roles in particular were, you know, character-driven films very just a character actor really that 
landed Leeds, but I think he was he was really, really good, particularly in his Australian accent. This is obviously one of them. Phenomenal performance. In one of my favourite, absolutely probably my favourite Australian film, along with Mad Max, I would say, but one of my favourite films in general. And I think he's, he's remarkable in it. He is. Uh, well, we'll just, we'll go into him in this film in a little bit more detail. Just want to cover some of the, the basics. So it's directed by Peter Weir from a screenplay by David Williamson, who also wrote The Year of D- Living Dangerously, which is another Peter mm-hmm. Weir film made the next year, also starring Mel Gibson, which is all about yeah. Indonesia and the coup. In Indonesia. Yeah, it's a very, very good film, that one. If uh, no, uns- look, Quite, quite, unse- not unseen, but it's not as... It's not as known. It isn't. That one was Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Really good film. Yeah, really good film, actually. Very, a good performance by Mel Gibson again. And this is part of the... I think this is this film was one of the early Australian new wave. It was, you know, the, the late 70s saw a sudden Australian film boom. May, films like Mad Max, actually, kind of uh, low-budget B-movies that essentially became global hits. And and it's put all these Australian filmmakers on the map, and it and it uh, and this is one of the early ones that I think did internationally really really well. Put Mel Gibson in the forefront. I mean, Mad Max obviously did as well in the sequel, and then things like The Bounty. Group of filmmakers in Australia in this period became prolific, uh, and I think well deserved because I think they did such such great work. Well, it also, I mentioned Mark Lee. Mark Lee, mm. I mean, he's kind of sank without a trace after this, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because he was a good, he was had a good screen presence, good looking, you know, very typical Australian looking guy. I think, you know, he sort of just did a lot of television. I think he may still be acting, but just sort of not the highest profile work that you'll see globally. But it, it's, um, I think he still is an actor. Well, he's great as this sort of naive young sprinter yeah. who is yeah. very idealistic about the first world war as well um, great contrast with mel gibson's character who really couldn't give it a... yeah he's a bit more cynical isn't he yes yeah yeah and then and then it's got the great bill kerr who actually a i think was in the second world war oh really yeah he served in the second world war but bill, bill kerr very good and then my i think probably my favorite sort of <laughs> aussie actor Who's in so many great films? Muriel's Muriel's wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Hunter, and he plays the commanding officer of the uh, battalion based in Gallipoli. In Gallipoli, uh, he's a fantastic actor, Bill Hunter. Yeah, really, really perfectly cast in this one. And so Gallipoli was. I mean, I remember the the cover of Gallipoli, which was this sort of uh, um, artist in uh, a painting of of the final moment film, but it's quite a sort of almost abstract uh, image. Yeah. It's actually, I think it's the, the, the poster on IMDb. Right. I'll put links Um, in this for all the the listeners, of course. So the film starts, it's really all about the running and, and and we never really, Mark Lee, the Mark Lee character is quicker than Mel Gibson, isn't he? Yes. Yes, he is. Which serves up quite an interesting dilemma at the end are we allowed to spoil i'm not sure because i think it's, it's been out film that... i think the film's yeah. been out a while um <laughs> you think yeah it, i think listeners okay any listener who has not seen gallipoli uh there is it's set in the first world war so as with many films set in the first world war there is a tragic ending mm. let's let's actually emphasize to be honest 
most of the film actually isn't set during the first, I mean, isn't actually at, on location in the First World War. Most of the film is in Australia, but, uh, a bit of Africa. Yeah, but it, Egypt, it starts, yeah. yeah, Egypt, yeah. And it starts, of course, Egypt, because it, uh, it starts in pretty much the outback. You get to know these two characters, um, one of which is very keen to go and join up. Yeah, um, he, so that's Mark Lee, play, who hmm. plays Archie Hamilton, which is so Archie's just such a name from that era. You don't get many <laughs> yeah. Archies nowadays. Everything yeah. about the film is very Australian, even the names, yeah. even the blonde, the, a lot of the characters who just look very Australian and behave yeah, yeah. in an extraordinarily Australian manner. Uh, yeah, um, well, you, you see, you mentioned the other, I mean, I think it's Western Australia it's meant to be, so yeah. that really Western Australia, long, sorry, yes. I, I consider a great yeah. scene in it where, where they're walking across the desert. Brilliant, brilliant. Cinema, cinematography, brilliant. Um, but before we get yeah. to, but before they mm-hmm. do that, it really is an introduction into the life in, well, I guess it's Western Australia, so I don't want to sort of blandly say all is the outback. And I think of all the states in Australia, Western Australia, I think of the capital of which is Perth, is that still has that kind of Victorian feel to it. Uh, I guess this is sort of really the Edwardian period, but it has got the, the Victorian colonial architecture, hasn't it? I guess. I mean, I don't, that's juxtaposed with the very modern, current modern. Australia, bear in mind, is technically, I suppose, newer than the states. Very much that remnant, but as well as you know, a modernization that's that's I would say probably on a par with the, with the United States. I think that that feel in the film you'll find very much today. Obviously, the landscape hasn't changed at all. It captures the the, the barren nature of of Western Australia when they're <clears throat> especially Mel Gibson's lot. He, Mel Gibson is part of like a little troop, about four of them I think, who just do like labour. Their workers and Gibson wants to get get out of. He wants. I think he wants to head to Perth at the beginning. Is the thing, and yeah. he's a runner and he races and he, and he races up against Archie Hamilton, who's um, Mark Lee's character. That's how they get. That's how they meet. It's just such a great journey of a film. It's like a, an adventure film almost, but with this bleak, overhanging fate that kind of you you feel it. You don't think anything good's going to happen. It's just, it's just such a dra- great drama. Yeah. So the the two the two title characters they meet early on, don't they? In a race, Archie defeats the character played uh, of Mel Gibson, um, uh, Frank. Frank, yes. And Frank's obviously upset about it. And Frank, you can tell Frank's a bit of a rogue because he slips a few a few Aussie dollars to <laughs> to the to the, uh, the stewards to bet that he will win the race. And mm. then you don't. Then the two don't meet again. But meanwhile, Archie does this fantastic well, yes. race against his sort of enemy, mm-hmm. who's on horseback. Yes, and, it's like a cross-country race. It's not it's a like cross-country a race, yeah. exactly, exactly. And, and he does he it tells, barefoot. <laughs> yeah, he's barefoot, but then his he, his his enemy has to ride bareback. Yes, and 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 there's a great shot where where the horse appears at the finish line with n- no rider on top. But that really shows Archie's determination. He's a very stubborn individual. Yes, um, very. And, you know, it kind of sets the scene for his bravery that comes later, which, of course, Frank Dunn, Gibson's character, you could argue doesn't. He's, he's a bit of a coward. You know, he wants he wants to he doesn't want to sign. There's a really great scene where both of them turn up at a like a farm 
and you know beautiful daughters live on the farm beautiful women and and they all they welcome them in because they've been traveling walking across the open plains and then they all have a little drink in the evening and then they <laughs> mark lee's character says you know i'm going to join the light force i'm going to go and join up because that's what you do and then they sort of turn to Mel Gibson Are you? and he's like, no, I've got business interests. And they, they raise a glass to Mark Lee's character and it, and it really encapsulates that, that Frank's a bit of a coward. And, and feels... Frank notices that the two young ladies immediately, their hearts are flutter because yeah. Archie's <laughs> joining the army. Yeah. And he's going to be in uniform. <laughs> You've mentioned them crossing the desert and that, uh, the thing about this film is it does, there are a few characters, I think two characters who are, I mean, they don't have big parts, and I, so I don't want to overstate mm. it. But you do get a, um, a lot of Aboriginal presence. Archie's big mate in in the early part of the film is an Aboriginal character, which I guess th- that was right in the heart of of uh, Australia's going through a lot of, I guess, agonising now over their treatment mm. of Aboriginals in the in the, in during the period that this film is based. Peter Weir's used Aboriginal actors in this, but the and crossing was... of the desert is interesting because mm. they meet. They're crossing this desert and they meet, and it's somewhere in Western Australia. So, um, please forgive me, I can't n- name it. But they're um, heading for Perth, basically. Yes. They? Yeah. And they come across a chap, uh, a, a, an old, an old grizzled <laughs> old bloke with a donkey, and and yeah, it's a camel actually. I think it's a camel. Yes, mm. yes, yes, yes. They're <laughs> amazed to see this camel. See this camel, yeah. Uh, and he has water for them, so this basically saves their lives. They tell him why that they're ge- why they're going over there. They're going to Perth to join the army, and he doesn't mm. know anything about a war going on because it's no. 1915, I guess. And so he it's been says, going for about a year. Basically. He says, "What? What? Why are you going to fight the war over in, in Europe?" The Archie character says, well, you know, we've got to go there. They might be over here. And he looks across the desert, the old bloke, yeah. is, and they're welcome to it. <laughs> yeah, in the most hardened Australian accent. And they're welcome to it. Which Mel Gibson uh, delights in. Where are you headed? Perth. Oh, I nearly went there once. Uh, thought I ought to see one big city before I die. You looking for work? No, I'm after the war. What war? The war against Germany. I knew a German once. How did it start? Don't start him. Don't know exactly, but it was the Germans' fault. The Australians fighting already. <laughs> In Turkey. Turkey? Why is that? Ask him. Because Turkey's a German ally. Oh, well, you learn something every day. Film can't see what it's got to do with us. We don't stop them there, they can end up here. But it's but the 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 when they eventually join Gibson's what's in what's really great in Mel Gibson's in his performance is this evolution. It's like this arc that he's got that as it and of course it's probably shot out of sequence as most films are, but it, there's a, an amazing kind of growing awareness of of camaraderie and responsibility and, and I guess patriotism as well that grows and and by the end it's really for me it's mel gibson's character that is heartbreaking without I'm, i won't give anything away but i mean you know it's it's not a it's not a happy third act you know one of the greatest film screams in hi- cinema history right at the end this pain that comes out when he does maybe maybe rivaled only 
not quite as good, but rivaled by perhaps Sean Penn screaming in Clint Eastwood film called Mystic River when he discovers his his daughter is dead. It's so emotional. And then you look back over the performance of Mel Gibson in the film and you see this, you know, such a difference from the beginning. And it's brilliantly paired with Mark Lee because they become very close friends, you know, a real kind of love and caring for each other, which he sort of has doesn't have with his other mates who are kind of his older mates who are a bit more kind of buffoon type characters. <laughs> but then it, they also become very emotional towards the end as well. I mean, you know, there, there's nothing not moving about the Gallipoli sequence in the last third. I mean, I'm a big fan of Mel Gibson. I (laughs) guess recently that's become a rather a loaded sentence, hasn't it? And it it kind of betrays all sorts of... Yeah, uh... of course. I mean, he, 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 to be honest, in the last kind of 10 years, he hasn't done the most amazing, hasn't, hasn't chosen the most amazing character, character to play. That's probably not necessarily his fault. It's, well, it is his fault, but, (laughs) <laughs> he was arrested in i think 2010 uh yeah, it's a while ago now to be yeah. honest actually uh he was drunk i think mm. drunk driving and he i just checked with the aspects of history lawyers i'm pretty sure this, <laughs> this happened and uh and he then came out with a whole load of anti-semitic mm. um, conspiracy theories and slurs yes you know, and then I think there's something to do with um I think there was something to do with his wife and daughter as well. It's so yeah. he's obviously uh, and I think he's been put down to alcoholism or whatever but um maybe you can but my view on these sorts of things is you can still enjoy his acting without wanting to go for a cup of tea with him. I agree. I mean, you know, you you say this you can say the same thing about you know, I rewatched LA Confidential recently which is one of the great gr- the great crime films ever made and i still think kevin spacey's brilliant performance he's great in a lot of things i don't watch these actors and go so i can't i can't watch this film now because because Pretty of what's happened in real life so gibson did you know he i mean f- fantastic work in the bounty Anthony Hopkins, which could appear on this podcast one day, maybe. And then, of course, you know, he was perfectly in his first Hollywood role, which really brought him into the eye of everyone around the world, perfectly cast in Lethal Weapon. He was perfect as Martin Riggs because of his, probably because of his slightly crazed look in his eye, you know, the fact that he is a bit wired. And then, you know, then the sequels descended into a bit of parody, which, you know, they, I mean, the first one was quite serious, was was a, was a real acting chops role. So I think he's... he's... Two's, no, two's good. Mm. Yeah. immunity. <laughs> two's... <laughs> that was South African, folks. Just, yes, it's... But 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 it's, it was fun, as opposed to Lethal Weapon, the, the original... There was danger in his character. You didn't know really what he wasn't predictable. He was in, and it wasn't an out and out comedy. Tequila Sunrise, the guilty pleasure of mine. Do you probably remember this from school? I used to watch it all the time. It's it's great. Um, I think I've, I've definitely watched it with you then. It, JT Walsh, yeah. love JT Walsh. Yeah. Um, and Raul Julia. And Raul Julia and Michelle, obviously. Both um, of those sadly, uh, uh, well, Michelle, yeah. Piper, yeah, Raul Julia and JT Wolf both sadly died a heart attack. Died, yeah, very, young, Abs- very, very sad yeah. indeed. So yeah, he he had. It's a shame that he post, you know, all the stuff that happened in his public life, uh, private life, that he didn't continue with interesting character roles. I would argue that there's one role that he did. The film isn't brilliant, but he, directed by Jodie Foster. It's a film called The Beaver. And it's a very interesting performance, very sad. And he just, it, I think there is 
an emotional turmoil that goes on in in is probably in real life and that that can manifest itself quite in a good way on screen. But back to Gallipoli, it's it's I think one of his best, probably one of his best perform, one of his best films. I think it's one of Peter Weir's best films, if not his best film. A remarkable director. I don't think he's made a bad film ever. I've met Peter Weir. Peter Weir. You have that's I'm very jealous. He's I was only one of my I favorites. was only small though. I was only small. Oh really? <laughs> I, I I was more interested in meeting the star of the film. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, Harrison Mosquito Ford. Coast. Yeah, yeah, Harrison Ford. Very yeah. good. Uh, good, really great. See, he gets great performances out of these movie stars in inverted commas. For listeners who don't know, Peter Weir directed. Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is an amazing Australian film. Gallipoli, The Year of Living Dangerously. He did Mosquito Coast. He did he did Witness with Harrison Ford, which is a great, I think his first American film. Uh, he did The Truman Show, which is fantastic. He did Master and Commander. Something... I know you're keen to do on this podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, which, of course, we can. And The Way Back, I think it was his latest film. Australian we, we could film, do what I? we could do. Listeners can give their feedback. History mm. at aspectsofhistory.com. We could do a nautical double bill. We could oh, that's the, interesting. We could do the bounty and master and master commander. and commander. That's a great idea. Yeah, yes. double the, on the same podcast. Indeed, if yeah. people can be bothered to listen to us. Yeah, or I could split it into <laughs> two and, and do it over yeah. the same month, though, like we did right, with the, okay. the two thousand and eight crash double bill. Ah, oh, yeah, good idea, good idea. Okay, let's do that then. And Mel mm. Gibson's directorial achievements are impressive, and I know so. Mm. Quentin Tarantino, uh, mm. who we are both huge admirers of, is blown away by his um, Maya film. Yeah, Apocalypto. Apocalypto, yes. Yeah, one. he said it was one of the best films, if not the best film there. Yeah, I mean, Gibson knows how to direct films, let's be honest. His action directing is is phenomenal. I mean, Apocalypto is like an adrenaline rush. It's like one long chase film, really. I mean, Braveheart is, you know, you, you, it's a redefined the epic. You know, because before Braveheart, there hadn't been that sort of a film for a very long, probably since, since like the 50s or 60s even. You know, like the big country, those big grand scale films. I'd argue without Braveheart, you wouldn't have had Gladiator because it wasn't in that, it wasn't in the psyche of, of producers but Braveheart was such a success that yeah, he... one best film, didn't it? And um, best film, best director. I mean, it's historically illiterate, rubbish. <laughs> but you forgive, you forgive it because you know, it's, you know, it's got that speech about freedom. Well, who cares? And his accent, you know, fine, doesn't matter. But it was a, you know, a proper spectacle. Uh, back to Gallipoli, it's it's a highly emotional film without being sentimental. Without well, being schmaltzy, yeah, and, and we'll okay. So we'll get on to we'll get on to some of our categories then. I think, but taking into account um, some of the issues I have with it, historically speaking, I without fail uh, end up in floods of tears in this film. <laughs> yes, we mentioned the scream at the end that Gibson, but it's also the the way it's cut. Yeah, um, for me, it's, between... it's the Archie character when he's reading out his um, the, the the words he's been taught by his steel his, springs your steel springs exactly <laughs> then let's see you do it <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah excellent yeah that and i mean it's just heartbreak because it's that it's the close-up of the whistle 
going yeah. into into the into the major's mouth, them just getting ready, and then Gibson sprinting as fast as he can, shouting, "Get make way, make way!" and he and he yeah. ducks some bullets, and then and then it's then it's the cut between literally just getting ready to go over, and then silent Mel Gibson running cut, Archie Hamilton, cut, and then. You hear the whistle, and there's the, and then there's that scream, and then they all, you know, they. Anyway, now you know on the way, away. you know, on the on the race, he has to run to basically save his comrades. On the way to the commanding officer, does he go the shortcut? Because on the return, he he runs through a sort of sniper alley, a particularly exposed piece of ground. As it's a slightly run. high ground where they shoot, and he duck he ducks down, and he yeah. yells, "Jesus Christ!" Yeah. Um, and and they said, "Don't go that way, mate." The, you know, uh, cause yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I is think that on the way so. there? On the way no, back? I think it's on the way back, isn't it? Because if he exactly so, had he gone that way, had on he the gone way that there, way. well, he may he have been shot, them. but he, he may have, have yeah, exactly. Too. Right. So let's do our let, uh, let's. Uh, and the other thing, actually, Aussie and Kiwi listeners uh, will be mm. screaming at uh, their mobile phones because. This is we haven't mentioned that Gallipoli is a hugely significant moment for the. It's similar to Vimy in mm-hmm. uh, for the Canadians in in northern France, which I've been to actually. You know the sacrifice because by Britain declaring war against Germany and I guess by definition eventually uh, the Ottoman Empire in 1914, that effectively meant Canada, Australia, and New Zealand as well as India were also declaring war. Their foreign policy was was controlled by uh, the British at the time. So, and it was a different. I guess it was a different era whereby Britain was the sort of mother country, mother mm. of the empire, and Canada, Australia, New Zealand in particular, South Africa, of course, and India. Yeah, were, were, yeah. were did have that. Uh, uh, particularly, the ANZAC countries had that connection mm-hmm. to Britain. I don't. I mean, you know, those those bonds have probably been loosened a lot more today. But Gallipoli most significantly is this moment of maybe birth of the mm. nation is not too um, strong a way of putting it. I, no, I, I would say that's true. Uh, 20, 25th of April, I think it is, isn't it? Anzac Day in in Australia. Um, well, you're an Australian citizen, so you would know yes. better than me. And it's highly significant for me. The the I mean, my dad was Australian, so, so uh, I eat Vegemite. I don't eat Marmite. You know, this this is definitive Australian stuff. So uh, I, I think so. I think it's um, I, it just reminds me of that scene in Gallipoli where they're in Egypt, they're betraying and they, they hire the donkeys and they start singing. If England needs a hand, well, here it is. And, it, you know, that kind of and, and the way the British soldiers are portrayed, you know, they're like, well, riffraff, <laughs> you know, it's like it's such an Aussie point of view that those, those scenes, which is I think is harmless when you've got a mm. um, upper class twits what, um, uh, riding through. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Riding through. I, the I, would be on the Aussies. I mean, I am England. I mean, but I'd be I'd be like I'd join that lot and. and and yeah. take the mickey out of it. But I think it it's... becomes more problematic when we get to Gallipoli because one mm. uh, probably annoying fact is that more British troops were killed at Gallipoli than Australian. And the actual, uh, and, and we'll get onto this, I guess, with most unlikely scene is, is uh, but let, let, so we'll get onto that because I don't want to dwell too much on it now because <laughs> we are judging the film. And let's sure. talk about best performance. 
Well, I mean, you know, for me, I I don't think I could go any with any anyone other than Gibson because it's I think it's a real really rounded performance. You know, he is in pretty much all of the film. Uh, Mark Lee, you know, technically it's Mark Lee's point of view, I, I suppose. Mark Lee's really good. You can't really find fault with Mark Lee's performance. I think he's he does the innocence brilliantly. It's tragic, but the emotion that comes out of Gibson as he becomes aware of his responsibilities, you know, kind of halfway through when they get to Gallipoli, a, a little look between, you know, when they, there's an example, when he goes, the major goes, I need a runner. And he asks Mark Lee to do it because he's the fastest. And Mark Lee refuses. He's like, I want to go over the top. I want to go over the top and fight. And then he turns to, to Gibson and it's like, Gibson's got basically portrayed, I've got out of this. I've got out of this suicide mission because he's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, that's that's basically what they all probably knew. And I just, so for me, I think Gibson's my my best performance. If I could, I'd give also best performance to all of those supporting characters in Gibson's little clique because they're brilliant as well. I, th- I find your, your, well, your argument for Gibson's very convincing. I, I, the mm. only, the, my nomination would have been Bill Hunter. Who plays their CO? Who, who yeah. plays it with such sensitivity? Absolutely. And when he says goodbye to his wife at the ship, is really is so moving. And I agree. I just don't think he's in it enough. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. It think would that's... have been better if he if he'd been in it more, but he couldn't have been because obviously he's. Um... I, I also, the scene where he's in his trench listening to classical music and drinking the champagne. Yeah. Yeah. His wife. Yeah. Very, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, very powerful. And he doesn't want to kill. You know, he knows. Well, he certainly knows this is sort of Operation Certain Death. And in fact, no dialogue, but even the way he raises the whistle to his mouth, I think his hands shaking. You know, it's like, I mean, it's one of the best war films. If you can call it a war film, because, I mean, technically you could call it a war film, but it's, you know, it's a drama, I guess. Um, oh, it's definitely a war film. But it's it's up there with the best that yeah. ever been made. It, 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 and I think you'd have a heart of stone if you didn't, if it didn't get to you post credits. But, you know, can't we have, you know, Gibson, but... No, Hunter's... no, no, we can, we can go with Gibson because I think you've, <laughs> you've given a very powerful uh, argument for it. So the, the Simon Baker Award... For best performance, if we haven't renamed it after Killian Murphy, I just think Simon Baker deserves a little bit of a shout out. I think mm. Killian, Killian Murphy doesn't need this, whereas Simon Baker's career needs aspects of history's. I I agree. Well, I mentioned Killian Murphy there because Killian Murphy in in our Oppenheimer podcast got the Simon Baker award. He did. He got the Simon Baker award. Yeah. So Mel Gibson is also a winner of the Simon Baker award. Right. Sure. Yes, yeah, so I mentioned Killian Murphy just because he was probably of all the film clubs we've done apart from simon baker is hugely <laughs> yeah. powerful yes oh yeah absolutely and some and it's nice this this as well because i'm sure gibson would be very honored because simon baker is australian indeed indeed so, do you think yeah. mark lee and um mel gibson are friends today i believe so i do know that he that gibson went to drama school with his mates the guys who were his mates in the film really he was a drama school with yeah drama school in sydney national australian Academy of Dramatic Art, I think it's called. Uh, Kate Blanchett went there as well, and mm. um, and I think Gibson. Did Simon Baker Rob- go there? Oh, that's a good question. We we'll have to look that up. You know, that their his mates are just are like such Australian archetypes when they when they go to the the alleyways to to buy. Well, actually, they go visit prostitutes in in Egypt, and the blonde the, the blonde friend who's like, I'm disgusted. 
<laughs> what should your mother's think? You know, it's brilliant. And my favorite, I think one of my favorite lines in the whole film is when when his mate buys an artifact from one place and then he sees it cheaper in another place and they go back and the guy's like, oh, you didn't buy this here. And they actually make a mistake in the shop. Uh, but the guy's refusing and the blonde guy just just goes, nah, I'm going to get really bloody angry here. <laughs> it's like you can't get more Australian. They're so good, all of them, in those in those little roles. That's yeah. that could I mean, you know, in terms of unlikely scene, we've done we've done actors in, in terms of unlikely scene. Is it a bit over the top that, that Gibson starts to vandalize the shop? I, um, I, I no, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I, I think in those days, soldiers when they're they were off, very nice people. Well, I think they just <laughs> went around causing trouble. Yeah, that's yeah, why you have to yeah. have military police, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mel hmm. definitely gets that. So, oh, so you've you've seamlessly slipped into my most unlikely scene. I think for yeah. me, it's the break, the chain of command, the implication that the superior officer, because I think it goes from Bill Hunter, who's the commander of the battalion, it then goes to his CO, who's an Aussie command and then and, and then a supposedly british superior officer who i'm not... sure was played by prince charles at the time <laughs> does look he very much like him exactly like him but actually i think he's at, well he is australian he just i think is portraying that rather sort of upper class australian accent that that would be difficult to detect was australian it sounds more british push on the way he says push push on yes exactly and yeah it could have been it australia actually that's a good point i yeah i don't know well it, it's the battle of the neck and so he was australian if that's you know if they are in, it took place in, i mean we're, we're speaking in august mm-hmm. uh, because this is when it was it was the 7th of august 1915 the battle of the neck and that's what the, the film is portraying but that's all fine and dandy if, if, if he's british australian but the the key thing is that they're implying that uh, the British required a sacrifice of Australian troops so that the Brits could drink tea on the beach, and I think that might be Peter Weir going a little bit far there. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's any evidence yeah. that that British soldiers demanded the sacrifice of of Australian troops so they could drink tea. Mm, no, I mean you'd have to you'd have to. Listeners may know. I do think, but what it, obviously what he's trying to say is that. Australia was sacrificed for a British mm. cause. World War One being yeah, the cause itself, and you know, obviously, you know, that can be discussed forever. Then, so that's your your unlikely scene is 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 the chain of command. Yeah, the bit where yeah. the sort of uh, you know the, the the sort of Prince Charles lookalike telling them to mm. push on. Yeah, that, um, that's where I I just question whether that's true, even though it makes such powerful great drama. Cinema. Yeah, the I mean, I don't know what other because you know, pre the campaign scenes, or whether when they're either in Australia or when they're in Egypt training, when he ch- signs up, he's too young, and Gibson makes him helps him like with the beard, and then there's this, the 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 incident where Gibson gets on the horse and he has no idea how to make the horse move, and Archie's going kick it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure you'd know how to that you have to kick a horse. Well, they can be stubborn things, though. But you, you pick it. <laughs> I've been on a horse. I went on oh, a really? riding okay. holiday when I was 14. My parents, hmm. we were living in um, the Americas. They took us. I, I had this horse. I think it was called Nolan. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I gave gave it a big kick and didn't move an inch. Oh, really? 
No. Well, you were 14, so you're probably quite yeah, yeah. weak. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but I, th- I'm, I, no, I don't think that's as unconvincing as... Um, okay, to the chain of command. Okay. British troops drinking tea whilst Aussies... I do agree with that. That, that I agree. Let's go with that then. Right. And then best scene. Uh, my my favourite scene in the film is when they arrive at night and you have Adagio by Albanini playing... Yeah. At Gallipoli at night yeah. from Egypt, and and yeah. and you've got the sort of flares going off, and I find that hugely powerful. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, there's the final scene as well. Yeah, I mean, I would probably go with. I mean, the thing is, is favorite and moving. There's, you know, the final scene is astonishingly moving. But then again, my, again, my favorite scene is also when they go into the shop in each in when they're when they're training. <laughs> and I'm going to get really bloody angry. That's such a good scene. But in terms of importance, you know, I don't know. You go, I think uh, we have both have. Final... It sounds like we, well, it sounds like we both settled on the final scene, really. But yeah, well, they, they, they both came up with, but so yes, I suppose yeah. that, that wins. I mean, it's almost like the film builds to that. It's like the point of the film is. <gasps> it is. And, you know, the, the final frame is extraordinary. So it gets everything right, you know, when he's running and his mm. breath, the breath of him, him and he gets breathing. quite far. He gets quite far. I don't want to no spoilers, but he gets. I mean, he's a you know he's a runner. So mm. so listeners who haven't seen the film, I, I I'd be very surprised if your listeners haven't seen Gallipoli, but of course there may be. So you, you really must watch it. It's a great piece of work. Yeah, it absolutely is. So that was the, so what the most, the uh, Argo Award for most unlikely scene went to the Chain of Command. The best scene, I can't remember if we've given that a sponsorship name. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe we haven't had a powerful enough scene yet. I think mm. that if we're going to talk about legacy here, legacy was, is, mm. is significant. I think it's become one, it's one of the most popular Australian films ever made. I'm struggling to think of, uh, it's probably of Australian New Wave. This is the most popular Oh, I don't know. I would say probably. I mean, Mad Max is probably up there. Of course. And things like there's a really good film called called Next of Kin, right? Which is an Australian film by a director called Tony Williams. That's that's like creepy as hell. It's sort of all in the same period. I think Peter Weir was was a major forerunner. You know, he was made helped. so many great films. Yeah, I mean, Picnic at Hanging Rock is so haunting and br- yeah. and brilliant. But I think Gallipoli is is by far the most moving. It's probably Gallipoli and Mad Max, then. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, Mad Max, the first one was very innovative because it was done on such a low budget. I mean, so low, you know, made by a doctor. George Miller is, is he's one of my favourite directors living. Along comes Mad Max 2 because he had a hell of a lot more money. And that in itself is an amazing achievement because it's just such a brilliant action film. Uh, Mad Max 3, not so brilliant, unfortunately. But it's got Tina Turner in. Yeah, but it's just not very good, I think. Anyway, uh, and then of course you've got Babe. Don't few, forget Babe. He made Babe, Babe. Babe. He made. He produced the first Babe. Directed the second Babe, which isn't brilliant, I don't think. But um, but one film that he did that George Miller did do that was his first Hollywood film was The Witches of Eastwick. Amazing film. Uh, and then of course Mad Max Fury Road is is quite possibly the greatest one of the greatest action chase films uh, ever made. I haven't seen that. That surprises me. That that actually shocks me. Well, I've been a bit suspicious of it. Well, the the only thing about it, if anyone has seen it, is and likes the original Mad Max's, is, is it's just 
it to me it was sacrilege that Mel Gibson wasn't Mad Max in it. It was like he's Max. What are you what are you putting Tom Hardy in for? And also, I think it would have been so much better with Gibson at his at his, the age he was, seeing yeah. Max as an older person and seeing all that all that history and weight on his shoulders and and what that would have made him. Whereas you got Tom Hardy just kind of, I don't know. Well, right, but the the the, the film is amazing. You must see it; it's brilliant. Well, Gibson's still doing it. I mean, I saw a really good film of his the other day called Dragged Across Concrete. Absolutely brilliant film with with really um, nasty film. Yeah, but it's the director. He's a brilliant American director who made uh, a film called Bone Tomahawk, which is a western with Kurt Russell, and he and and Prisoner in Cell Block, no Brawl in Cell Block, something or other, which is a brilliant film as well. But Dragged Across Concrete is excellent right we've been going off a slight tangent so leg i think where we'll just pull us back and i think legacy was saying is this is a significant yeah. legacy rating so i'd say a good four a strong four out of five on there yeah absolutely i mean is Which, it is am i right in thinking it's the only film really with about that campaign yes cinematically yes i think you're mm. right there have been a few mm. tv films there was one um but yeah cinema wise i think it's set such a high benchmark and, and i actually think it's had, had a huge impact not only culturally but historically mm. for australians had that film not been made would for example the australian cricket team i think in 2001 or 2005 went via gallipoli on their way over to the for the ashes. oh did they all right Maybe they wouldn't have done that without the film. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Gallipoli, they made the film because Gallipoli had such an impact on the on, on, on the Aussie. But I suppose, I wonder if the attitude towards whether Gallipoli fueled a sort of at the attitude, the Australian attitude to the British. Because I remember watching when in that, in the same period, a television series came out called Bodyline. Oh, it's brilliant. With, with Hugo Weaving. Playing Douglas Jardine, the great England captain. Uh, Hugo Weaving playing an Englishman. Yes, Although I think exactly. Hugo Weaving is, is technically English. Oh, is he? I think so. I just remember the great, total, just the epitome of the English-Australian rivalry attitude to each other, where he knocks on the door of the of the of the Australian cricket team and says, "I do not take kindly to being called a bastard." And the, the Australian guy looks around and goes. Which one of you bastards call this bastard a bastard? That's fantastic. I went to uh, an Aussie friend of mine's um, fancy dress party dressed uh, Douglas Jardine. Oh, you did? <laughs> well, that was made, that TV series was made around the same time as Gallipoli. So I think there was, you know, there was very much this, I don't know what, what was the 80s, but it was or the early 80s. Oh, it's excellent, um, Bodyline. Mm. I mean, of course... Mm. You know, I think you're right to mention Bodyline, the event, you know, the series itself, because that added fuel to the fire of antipathy between yes, Australia completely. and Britain. Yeah. yeah. And I think this that, you know, particularly you're talking about if if he was British at the end, I don't know, but this whole tea having tea, the Brits having tea in Gallipoli, as I said before, is very much a Australian POV. So I mean it and rightly so. I mean Peter Weir's Australian. There's an Australian film, you know, that that kind of seep through the you know, when the training and and them ridiculing the the tough British officers, I think was significant. So so good on ya. Yeah. So a very powerful legacy. Four and a half out of five, maybe. Great stuff, Tim. This has been fantastic. Been such fun. And uh, so watch Gallipoli, everyone. Well, September, August, September, October, November. So we're going to do 
we we haven't decided on September and October yet. I don't think, have we? Well, uh, you know, the suggestion that we do Master and Commander and the Bounty as a double bill. Yeah, that's tempting because that's a naval double bill, and and we've got so JFK you... is November. Yeah, and um, we're going to do thirteen days as well as a double bill for that, weren't we? Yes, I mean, uh, uh, so it's a double Kevin Costner stroke double JFK. JFK, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so then we just need to fill fill something in for October. Maybe we do Munich for for October. Yeah, I think uh, personally, I don't know how many of your viewers have seen Munich. I think it's. Uh, one of Spielberg's most underrated films. Uh, well, it'll along... go well with my documentary favourite, One Day in September. Yes, that would go. I haven't seen that, but I must. Yeah, you must. Right, Tim, being fantastic. Thanks right, Ollie, as ever. Thanks so much to you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, listeners. As you heard, there are plenty more great historical films to be covered. And if you've got any ideas, do let me know. You can email me, history at aspectsofhistory.com. One thing I regret that we didn't mention, the wonderful score in Gallipoli by Maurice Jarre. But you can't have everything. So do join me with plenty more great history coming up. Until then, thank you and good night. (laughs) 